Well, said that that was new music for you, but I think you did very well. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Larry Bradley now. He'll be doing uh, our, our preaching for today. And I believe this is a continuation of what he did last week. So if you missed last week's service, go online and check it out. See everybody. Good to, always good to be with you. And I want to give a special thank you to, uh, to Jacob up there doing our audio and vi audio visual, keeping the sound good, the visual. <laughs> doing a great job. Thank you, Jacob. Amen. Well, last week I started a series, a four-part series on knowing God, really knowing Him through His Son. And uh, just as a review, last week we talked about the Good Shepherd, Jesus as the Good Shepherd. Um, and He calls His sheep by name, laid down His life for us. Today, uh, I'm going to be speaking about growing in Christ, okay? So, growing in maturity. Uh, so, I begin with a question. What is the state of maturity uh, with American Christians today? Uh, that's a question that George Gallup, who's a, who's a uh, Christian, George Gallup of the Gallup Poll, you all know that name, was concerned about. Uh, and according to his research, he said 53% of the general public say that religion is very important, but only 13% actually live the faith that they profess. Gallup said that Americans need instructions badly in Bible study, prayer techniques, and how to share the gospel. He says people are trying to be Christian. Uh, people are trying to be Christians without the Bible, and we don't have. It's not a, a matter of a spiritual vacuum in our country. He says it's spiritual chaos. Why? Because he says we, uh, as Americans, have become consumer oriented, and are practicing what he calls an a la carte religion. An a la carte religion. He knows people want the fruits of faith without the obligations of faith, okay? So he says it's all a matter of spiritual maturity. Spiritually mature, what does it mean to be spiritually mature? What does, uh, how do you grow in spiritual maturity? Now, it's natural in the physical world for a, a little baby, a child, healthy baby to, to grow, okay? Uh, grow from infancy to childhood and uh, to teenagers to adulthood and it's neat when you it's neat when you see the little kid grow my wife uh, my newlywed wife of two years Tess uh, likes to show me on Facebook her uh, two of her teenage grandkids uh, shows pictures of a few years back and then the pictures of what they look like now this is what they look like then this is what they look like now I'm sure none of you know anything about that. <laughs> but looking uh, at the growth, looking at the, the progress. Uh, she also has two little grandbabies in Vallejo that she likes to visit quite often. And uh, she said, you know, they're not going to be uh, that little forever. And it's true, right? 
I mean, that's what uh, babies do, health, naturally healthy babies do. They grow. Okay? And that's what we do. Amen? And that's what we're to do as individuals, Christians, spiritually. We're to grow, not only as individuals, but as a church. Grow in maturity. In maturity. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So, the Apostle Paul, do you have a Bible with you? Or it might be up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 16. Ephesians 4, thank you, Jacob. Yes, thank you, Chuck. Let's go ahead and read, stand for the reading of God's word. And Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 1, we're going to read it all the way through verse 16. He says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by every cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, in, for him, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. You may be seated. May God's word be blessed. You know, the Apostle Paul, you know, in what we just read in Ephesians here. You see, Ephesians was a, a letter that Paul sent to be circulated around the other churches. It wasn't just Ephesus, but uh, all the churches in that area. And it was a letter he wrote. The first part of it has to do with the doctrines of the faith. They're very important. The second part of this letter has to do with the duties of the faith, or what George Gallup would call the obligations of the faith. Because there, are, there is an overarching theme in what Paul writes here, which is really a duty, it's a responsibility and an obligation for every Christian. And that obligation, as we're talking about this morning, is to grow. To grow. We're going to be looking at uh, growing in Christ this morning. Three areas. 
that are interwoven, three areas that are interdependent with each other. Uh, they, in other words, you cannot grow in one without at the same time growing with the other. All right? So these are admonishments and encouragements from God's word to you and to me to grow. And the first area that we're to grow in is to grow in the character of Christ. Grow in Christ's character. Let's take a look. Verse, four, uh, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Paul is writing from prison. And he's writing to remind his readers of the cost of being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And he gladly was paying that price in prison. And he wanted the, the believers that, that read his words to think about it. Think about what it cost you. What does it cost you to, to, to be a follower, a faithful follower of Jesus? What have you uh, invested? What have you put into living the life that he's called you to live? Growing in Christ. There are obligations to being a follower of Christ. There's obligations to being a part of the body of Christ. It's not just a consumer-oriented, a la carte religion where you, you pick and choose what fruit you want and you forget about your obligations to the body, to the body of Christ. Jesus paid the price. He paid the ultimate price. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus paid to purchase you with his blood. Upon the cross. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Jesus paid it all. And he, he's calling you, if you are a believer in Christ, if you put your trust in Christ, he's calling you to live up to the, to, to the calling you received as a follower of Jesus Christ. The calling, just like that devotional book. Anybody hear that devotional book, Jesus Calling? Jesus is calling. Let's take a look. What is he calling you to do? He's calling you to live a life worthy, worthy of his call. You know, to grow, to grow, to grow spiritually is to grow in your character. It's to grow in the character of Christ within you. To grow in Christ. Maturity. Rick Warren, in his book, Purpose Driven Life, says this about the word. You know, the thing about maturity Christian maturity is not just about learning a lot about the Bible. Okay, you can, it's not just learning a lot of Bible verses. Listen to what Rick Warren says in his book, Purpose Driven Life. He says, maturity is measured by one's, is not measured by one's learning, but by one's lifestyle. It, it's possible to be well-versed in the Bible and still be immature. You see, it's not about learning a lot of Bible verses. It's about putting those verses into practice by the power of the Holy Spirit within you and living the life that he's called you to live as a witness to the world around you. Being mature. Being mature. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at some specifics about how to be a mature Christian. Look at verse 2 with me, if you would. Verse 2. It says, be completely humble. See, Paul's giving specific instructions here. Be gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. These are the virtues. Humility. Patience. Gentleness. Forbearance. 
These are all aspects of Christ's love. They're all linked to Christ's love. And the first link in this chain is what? Humility. Humility. Bible scholar, Bible scholar uh, John MacArthur says this. He says, humility is the most foundational Christian virtue. He goes on to talk about the fact that all these other, these other three virtues are really products of humility. You have to have humility to be gentle, to be patient, to be forbearing. You have to have humility. Jesus, you know, here's the thing. Why? Why? Because when you're humble with the mind of Christ, you're not going to be thinking about yourself uh, just thinking about yourself and not caring how you treat others. You're going to be thinking of others and how you can serve them. Jesus gave this lesson to these, the disciples in the upper room the night before he was to be crucified. Jesus shared the Last Supper. And to his wide-eyed, shocked disciples, Jesus, after sharing that supper, got up and with his outer garment as a towel, he took a basin of water, if you remember, and he knelt down, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And he says, what I do for you, I want you to do for one another. Wash one another's feet. I have set you the example. Do what I have done for you. Have you washed anyone's feet lately? I think the application is this. It's really a question of, would you be willing to? Would you be willing to? Would you be willing to humbly serve the needs of others with humility and with the mind of Christ? That's the virtue Christ calls us to. Look at this. Verse 2. Be completely humble, Paul says. Be gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. See, when, you, when you're humble with the mind of Christ, you're going to be gentle because you're going to exercise self-control uh, in consideration for those around you. When you have the humility of the mind of Christ, you're going to be patient, willing to overlook the offenses of others. When you have the humility of the mind of Christ, you're going to be forbearing, putting up with uh, the faults and idiosyncrasies of others because you know you got plenty of your own, Right? I'll tell you, my wife can tell you a lot about mine, but she dare don't. <laughs> Humility. That's the virtue. That's number, number one. The first area to grow in that Paul uh, gives us here is to grow in the character of Christ. Second, grow in the oneness of Christ. The oneness. Verse 3 says this. Verse 3 says it this way. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You like that? Every effort. In other words, be diligent to maintain that unity, to maintain that peace. Grow in that unity. Grow in harmony. Grow in oneness. Make every effort to do it. 
Grow in that oneness. It's so important. Paul knew how important it was. Let me read to you. Uh, uh, one Christian author, well-known Christian author, talks about the importance of unity in the church. He says, unity is the soul of fellowship. Destroy it, and you rip the heart out of Christ's body. It is the essence, the core, and how God intends for us to experience life together in the church. I was so blessed this morning to hear uh, as I uh, got the chance to te teach uh, uh, Brother Greg's uh, Sunday school, the Philadelphian group that you guys uh, have had and the Koinonia group you have now, about just the unity of fellowship you have praying together, uh, fellowshipping together, so important. You know, the church has always struggled with this, though. The church from the very beginning has struggled with the idea of unity, and it has always had to do with the lack of spiritual maturity. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes to a church that's divided. I'm sure you, many of you are probably familiar with this. Paul is writing to this church that's divided, and they're divided because of their spiritual immaturity. Let me read. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning with verse 1. He says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I give you milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly, since there's jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, uh, I follow Paul, and another says, well, I follow Apollos, are you not mere man? What's happening? They had adopted the attitude of the world. Uh, they go out into these cliques, and then they start arguing about whose clique is best. Right? <laughs> they didn't have the maturity to be united. Remember, that's what Paul's doing, saying here. Make every effort to be united. They didn't have the maturity. You know, unity and oneness is so important. Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer just before he was arrested and be crucified. John chapter 17, he prays to the Father for every believer throughout the ages, including you and me, who would put their faith in him and he prays for their oneness. Let's, let me read to you. He says, he's praying to the Father that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And then he explains in verse 23 of John 17 why he's praying this way. He says this, May they be brought to complete unity. Why? And then he explains why. To let the world know that you sent me and that you've loved them even as you've loved me. You see, our, our unity, our oneness is to be a witness to the world around us. The unity, the oneness that we're to grow in, that Jesus prayed for so diligently. It's what we're to strive for. Again, Verse 2, I just want to repeat it one more time. Paul says this in verse 2. He says, Be uh, sorry, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know, unity isn't something that comes automatic, by the way. Even among Christians, you've got to work at it. It's something you have to work at, whether it's in church, whether it's at home, 
whether it's at, uh, on your job, unity is so important to, 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 to have harmony, to work together, to, to uh, understand each other, to have the same goals, to have the same purpose. As Christians, the same goal and the same purpose we have is Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus Christ as Lord, surrendering to his lordship, wanting to please him as our master and as our king. We should focus on what unites us, not on what divides us. What's important? What's important? You know, here's the thing. During the time Paul wrote this letter, in the church there were two groups of people, believing Jews, believing Gentiles. And before they became Christians, they were totally at odds with each other. They were, uh, had prejudice against each other. They had division against each other. But now, they're working together. Why? They have the same Lord. They have the same goal, the same purpose, the same Lord. They're one. They're growing in their oneness. Two ethnic groups. You know, there's a lot of talk today about ethnicity and race. And along with the church. There's, there's a phrase that's been floating around in certain so, uh, media outlets. You might have heard the phrase white evangelical. It's as though these media outlets are trying to sell the public on the idea that uh, evangelical Christianity is a white Western religion. Author, apologist, Rebecca McLaughlin wrote a book called Confronting Christianity. In one of the chapters of her, her, her book, she asked the question, does Christianity crush diversity? And she says this, contrary to popular conceptions, the Christian movement was multicultural and multi-ethnic from the outset. She talks about the Great Commission. You remember Jesus gave the Great Commission to his Jewish followers to go into all nations and make disciples. By the way, the word nation there comes from the Greek word ethnos. That's where we get the word ethne, ethnic. So they were to go, this small group of uh, Jewish uh, believers from the Middle East during the nation of Israel. By the way, Christianity didn't begin here in America. Did you know that? <laughs> Middle East. In the Middle East. He said, go into all nations, all ethnicities. And make disciples. Now, she also talks about reminding us of the day of Pentecost. And she says that was the first wave of um, Christianity where God's spirit enabled them to proclaim the message of Jesus in different languages. Those who heard it, the Bible says, came from every nation under heaven. There were people there from modern day Iraq, Iran, Egypt, Turkey, Italy, and every one of them that accepted the message of Christ became one. They became one in Christ. As it says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Unity. Unity. About, as far as evangelical Christianity being a white 
religion from the West. McLaughlin writes, most of the world's Christians are neither white nor Western. And Christianity is getting less white Western by the day. Thank God. It's spreading throughout the globe. She, she quotes a Yale law professor, public, black, intellectual, Stephen Carter, when he talks about the fact that the United, in the United States, black women are by far the most Christian demographic. And while around the globe, the people most likely to become Christians are women of color. Isn't that interesting? Does Christianity crush diversity? No, no. It celebrates diversity as God's plan for mankind. And in verse 4, all of the people that have accepted Christ throughout all the nations of the world, it says in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit. That's the spirit of Christ that dwells within every believer on every nation that receives him as Lord. Oneness. Oneness. Not only, not only is uh, there diversity in the ethnic groups of the body of Christ, there is diversity in the, in the spiritual gifts of the body of Christ. Verse 7. Verse 7 and 8. It talks about the risen Christ and how when he rose on high, he gave gifts, spiritual gifts to his body. Let's read. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive in his train, and he gave gifts to men. That's talking about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are part, as part of the body, how the body functions. Just like in the human body, has many parts, all working together, hopefully, in the spiritual body of Christ. There are many parts, or gifts, all working together. All working together as one. As one. And he speaks about what some of those gifts are. Verse 11, just a brief, this is a, a brief list here. There are other lists that are longer in the New Testament. But he says, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? Why? Look at verse 12. To prepare God's people for works of service. So, I want you to look at the word so there. So, the body of Christ may be built up. See, the gifts are used to build up the body of Christ. The, the gifts of the body, and we all have them. If you're a believer, you've got a gift. At least one. They're to be used to build up the body of Christ. Because, you know what? When you use your spiritual gifts... You grow spiritually. And here's the thing. Not only do you grow, but you help the person that you serve to grow. So you're both growing. You're both growing together as one in the body of Christ. Growing in maturity, growing in unity. You know we grow better together. Did you know that? <laughs> we grow better together. So then, we've talked about Growing in the character of Christ. We've talked about growing in the oneness of Christ. And third and finally, God's word admonishes us to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Verse 13. 
verse 13, it says this. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Maturity, knowledge of Christ. It's Jesus Christ who is central. You know, whatever a religious teaching, wherever they line up on the question of who Jesus is, determines whether or not it's a true or false religious teaching. Just like Jesus told his disciples, asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? That's the central question. Who is Jesus Christ? That's, that's what's being talked about here in verse, 11, uh, verse 13 that we just read. It says, uh, it, it says that our unity is to be what? It's to be a unity in faith Faith around what? Faith in the knowledge of the Son of God. It's all centered around Jesus. Who he is, what he came to do, and what he does for us as believers today. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God the Son. He died for us on the cross at Calvary. He was buried and rose again. And now, if you'll put your faith in him, he'll save you, and he'll empower you. He'll empower you to serve, to be, to serve him, to please God. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel that we're standing secure in. We're not to fall to false teaching. We're not to be infants so weak as an infant. We're not to be a, like a boat uh, blown about without an anchor. Look with me. Look how Paul describes this in verse 14. He tells us, to be mature so these things don't happen. He says this, verse 14, then no longer, once you're mature, no longer will you be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemes. Uh, maturity in the knowledge of Christ, understanding Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, always check. I think you've been told this before. Uh, I understand uh, 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 Pastor Don, uh, he talks about this. Always check what you've been taught in the Word of God. Be a Berean. You remember the Bereans? Paul and Silas went to a town in Berea, a little town in Berea, in Macedonia, Greece, and uh, they met some people there that uh, took in what Paul had to say. And it says in Acts 17, 11, these Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. Noble-minded. It's talking about the quality of their mind, the quality of their heart. Why were they noble-minded? They were willing to listen. They were eager to hear. They wanted to know what Paul had to tell them as he turned the scriptures, well, the scrolls, really, and showed them that Jesus was fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. Remember, these are Jews he's talking to in the synagogue. He was showing them how Jesus would save them. And you know what happened? You know what happened after Paul gave them the message? It says this, Acts 17, 11, it says they received, this is what they did, they received the message with great eagerness, they were interested, and examined the scriptures every day. To see if what Paul was saying was true. 
every day. How do we grow in the knowledge of Jesus? Be a believer. Examine the scriptures every day for, for your guidance in your daily decisions, for your understanding of who Jesus is. How do you stay in the truth? How do you live in the truth? How do you grow in Christ who is the truth? Be a believer. Search the scriptures. And when you do, you won't be blown about. And a matter of fact, when you do, when you know the truth, verse 15, this is what will happen. And this is what you have to do. When you know the truth, speak the truth. Look at what it says. Speak the truth in what? Love. If you're needing to correct somebody, speak the truth in love. If you're needing to give someone some counsel, speak the truth in love. If you're needing to encourage somebody, well, how do you do it? Speak the truth in love. Amen. If you need to share the gospel with somebody, how do you do it? In love. Speak the truth in love. Speak the, see, that applies to every situation. Every situation. How do you communicate, speak the truth in love? We should always seek to do that. And when we do, and when you do these things, what will happen? Verse 15. It says, we will all grow up in him who is the head, Jesus Christ. We'll grow. We'll grow. Grow in Christ. Grow in spiritual maturity. Grow in the character of Christ. Answer the call to, to, to live a lifestyle of humility. Be willing to wash somebody's feet. Grow in the oneness of Christ. Be mature enough not to quarrel about your, your differences, but strive for unity. And then rejoice in your diversity. The re diversity in the body of Christ. And then use your gifts. Use your gifts to build one another up. Third, grow in the knowledge of Christ. Stand firm in the word. Be a Berean. Search the word every day. And know the truth. Not only who Jesus is, but what he calls you to do. See, all true believers are joined to Jesus as the head of the body. Did you know that? We grow together in character, in oneness, in knowledge of him when we support each other by love, loving each other, and doing the works of service he calls us to do. Let's look at the, we're going to finish with this, verse 16. The last verse, he says this, from him, that is from Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament does what? It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each of us do our part in love, the whole body grows. Don't be an all a cart, don't be an all a cart Christian. Be an obligated Christian, amen? amen? Be obligated. Obligated to the body of Christ and obligated to him who is the head of the body, our Lord himself. Grow in Christ. Amen. Let's pray, please. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word that inspires us. Lord, please light that fire in all of us, Lord, self-included. 
Help us to desire to grow. Help us desire to be one. Help us to desire to grow in, in all the areas that you call us to grow in. And mature in Jesus Christ.